Uh, let's pray before we get started in our sermon today. <clears throat> God, we know that you are the only person in this room who is capable of changing a human heart. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that work this morning. Would you make your word alive in our hearts that we might walk away changed? Would you apply your word in every way that we need it? Would you encourage our hearts? Would you bolster us? Would you chide us and um, correct us when we need it? Um, And Father, most of all, I pray that you would send us out energized by the story of Jesus to walk away and live boldly for you. Come meet us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who can ever forget Winston Churchill's immortal words? We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. And we shall fight in the hills. It sounds exactly like our family vacation. (laughs) Robert Orban. Well, you're here this morning, either virtually or physically, which means I should congratulate you. Not just for surviving the effects of tryptophan, that mysterious amino acid that gives us the post-Thanksgiving turkey sleepies, but also for surviving the joys and challenges of extra time with family this weekend. Families are, in a word, complicated. They can be a source of great blessing and also of deep pain. No family is all one or all the other. Every family is a mixed bag, including Jesus's family. As we launch into our Advent series this morning, we begin with an introduction to the royal family of King Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 1. It's a family tree that's filled with just as many scandals and surprises and miracles and mysteries as your family and mine. I will spare you from reading the whole genealogy. Of course, there's probably still some tryptophan coursing through our veins. But let's quickly look at just a few of Jesus' family members that are included in this genealogy. Jesus' great-great-great-grand-something was named Judah. So Judah accidentally slept with his daughter-in-law and then was blackmailed into marrying her. But that was only after he refused to do right by her when she had not just one, but two husbands die very young. Does this sound like any family histories you may have heard? Ruth, an unbelieving woman from Moab, ended up widowed and destitute. She followed her mother-in-law, who must have been an absolute delight because she nicknamed herself Bitter. She followed her back to Israel... And she set off on a new humble life of gathering farmers' leftovers in the fields. She somehow ended up marrying a wealthy man named Boaz, who loved God, who cared for the needs of others, and who would put her in the direct bloodline of Christ. King Jehoshaphat is included in this genealogy. He sought to follow God, to lead his people to do the same. But ultimately, he struggled with peer pressure. And he made important compromises. King Uzziah, he started out strong, 
But then he did something that angered God so greatly that he was given leprosy. He had to live out the rest of his life in loneliness and isolation. Zerubbabel, whose name literally means the seed of Babylon, chose not to stay in the place of his birth, but to lead the first group of Israelites out of captivity and back to the promised land. In fact, he laid the foundation for the temple of God to be rebuilt. Are you seeing any patterns here? I hope that you see that the royal family of Jesus is just like yours and mine, filled with complex people, with complex stories, and also with glory and redemption. I recently watched the movie Where the Crawdads Sing, available on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, please do. It's a beautiful, haunting story. Watching it felt a bit like reading the book Oliver Twist, where bad goes to worse for a poor orphan child. It's really hard to see someone go through so much pain. The main character, whose name was Kaya, says this of her life. Please don't talk to me about isolation. No one has to tell me how it changes a person. I have lived it. I am isolation. But the beauty of the movie is when you see this handful of people that reach out to her, that don't give up on her, and they become a new kind of family for her. I'll try not to give you too many spoilers, but Kaya is ultimately saved from her tumultuous family and past and given a new lease on life. It's the same story that we read in the family genealogy of Jesus. His family story was redeemed through the power and grace of God. J.C. Ryle summarizes the genealogy this way. We should always read this catalog with thankful feelings. We see here that no one partakes of human nature, that no one who partakes of human nature can be beyond the reach of Christ's sympathy and compassion. Our sins may have been as black and great as those of any whom St. Matthew names. But they cannot shut us out of heaven if we repent and believe the gospel. If the Lord Jesus was not ashamed to be born of a woman whose pedigree contained such names as those that we read today, we need not think that, we, that he will be ashamed to call us brethren and to give us eternal life. The last word in this story, through all the scandal, all the ups and downs, all the beauty and chaos of this royal family, the last word is Jesus. He's the last name that we read in this section of scripture. Because the whole family tree gets an overall when he enters the picture. Jesus himself is our new family. He's the root of Jesse that makes the God's family tree so strong that countless branches can be added on. He's our hope, our peace, our joy. Even when we still feel and live in the effects of sin in this world, he's our promise of a true happily ever after. Let's read on now through the second part of this scripture and see just how Jesus accomplishes this miracle for us. So we're in the second half of Matthew chapter 1, if you want to read along. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called him Jesus. Now, Jesus had a great earthly family. His mother, Mary, was tender-hearted, full of faith, and known for her deep love for her family. You can see in this passage that his father, Joseph, was a thoughtful and sympathetic man, wanting even to protect Mary's feelings and reputation when, through all earthly appearances, she had cheated on him. Jesus had was no doubt born into a happy home. And yet, even this home was not without its challenges. Mary sometimes had unreasonable expectations for her children. While scholars believe that Joseph likely met an early death sometime during Jesus' young adulthood. Even this family that was handpicked by God still failed to live up to God's original intentions for what family should look like. And yet, even in these verses, we can see whispers of God's promises to us. From verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God was and is building a forever family that would live together in perfect peace, unity, and self-giving love. Because he himself would be at the center of that family, knitting it together and forming it into his own perfect image. This promise is what enables us to live in the broken here and now of our family life. Because God came down into our midst and into our mess. We have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Knowing that God is with us and for us through Christ enables us to bring our broken families to God in prayer and hope. Author and professor Kate Bowler recently wrote a beautiful prayer called A Blessing for When Your Family Disappoints You. Here is her prayer. God, I am angry and hurt and so incredibly sad. The very people who were supposed to love me and know me best have let me down. I am losing my sense of home. I don't know if I'll be able to let this go or find a way forward. And the reality of it all fills me with a kind of fear. However big, however small, this pain always feels unforgivable. I know they're only human. Really, I know. But their mistakes feel like they echo right through me. 
They strike a painful chord that rings on and on. I feel convinced all at once that I am not loved, not known, not safe. I feel small all over again. So bless me, God, when tears prick my eyes and I feel lost to myself. Bring me home. Remind me of the places you've brought me, the person I've become, when I feel your light and peace. Forgive them when I can't. And send some grace for this moment to keep my heart from breaking or my temper from rising or any sentence that starts with, you always. You remember me when I am a stranger to myself and an outsider at my own address. I love that last line so much. You remember me when I am a stranger to myself and an outsider at my own address. Isn't that what you imagine Jesus must have felt like throughout his life here on earth? As the book of Hebrews tells us, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Hebrews 4.15 I love knowing that Jesus knows. He doesn't just know intellectually, he knows experientially. And he freely offers us his grace for our deepest needs. Remember that promise? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We're invited to bring both our sins and other sins to Jesus. In the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, there's a verse that says, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Jesus stands ready, willing, and able to enter into our complex and broken relationships and to restore them to wholeness and health. So where in your life is God calling you to respond like Joseph, doing the hard and good and right thing, even when it costs you something? What relationship in your life needs the healing power of God? Where do you need to invite a God-with-us kind of Savior into your life? Martin Luther is famously quoted as saying, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. Jesus sunk himself down into what it means to be human, to live in a human family. In fact, of the few words that Jesus spoke while he was hanging on the cross, he asks his best friend, John, to care for his aging mother. Friends, Jesus truly experienced what it means to be a member of a family. In this and so many other ways, he knows. We see three main truths communicated throughout this passage. One, God has always been building his family. Two, God builds his family in surprising ways and with surprising people. 
three, God has chosen to include you in this family. Did you hear that last one? God has chosen to include you in this family. Many years ago, there was a couple from my church that could not have children. They felt that God was leading them to adoption. And after a lot of time, a lot of paperwork, a lot of red tape, they ended up adopting a young sibling pair from Russia. I still remember when they brought them home. These two children had lived in sparse orphanages with too few care workers their whole lives. And they now suddenly found themselves living in a beautiful home with loving parents. These quiet, shy kids blossomed over time as they began to feel more safe and more secure. They put on weight. They stopped getting sick so often. And they smiled more. They also started talking a lot. It was so sweet to watch. They're in high school now, and they're absolutely soaring. The daughter is artistic and thoughtful. She's actually in the color guard of her high school band. The son is funny and tender-hearted. He likes to do stand-up for his family and friends. They both love inviting people into their home and their lives. Here's what I've learned from their story. When we know, when we truly know who we are in Christ and what we have through Christ, we similarly will begin to grow more confident and more secure. We are free now to share our gifts and heart with others because we live in the abundance of God's goodness and grace. His love for us cannot and will not ever run out. When we know that, we're freed up to invite others into his family, to tell them what a big-hearted father we have, and to show them how good and faithful he truly is. Chuck Swindoll, the famous Chuck Swindoll, offers us some thoughts that are especially poignant this season. Some gifts that you can give this Christmas are beyond monetary value. Mend a quarrel. Dismiss suspicion. Tell someone I love you. Give something away anonymously. Forgive someone who has treated you wrong. Turn away wrath with a soft answer. Visit someone in a nursing home. Apologize if you were wrong. Be especially kind to someone with whom you work. Give as God gave to you in Christ, without obligation, without announcement, without reservation, and without hypocrisy. So here are some good questions for us to ask ourselves this Christmas season. Am I living out of a scarcity mindset? Or am I living out of an abundance mindset? Am I a hoarder of God's generosity to me, of his goodness and grace, as if there's only enough for me? Or do I freely share God's gifts with others, understanding that they can never run out? God does not expect us to live this way by our own wits or in isolation. Isn't that good news? 
We're not expected to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just suddenly be amazing people. He gives us a family to help us, to support us, to encourage us, and to do his hard work with us. And he gives us all the tools that we'll need through his Holy Spirit. Let's watch this scene from the Chronicles of Narnia that beautifully illustrates the gifts of Christmas. Since you have arrived. Look, I've been up with a lot since I got here. But this... We thought you were the witch. Yes. yes I'm sorry about that, but uh, in my defense, I have been driving one of these longer than the witch. I thought there was no Christmas in Narnia. No. Not for a long time. But the hope that you have brought your majesties is finally starting to weaken the witch's power. Still, I dare say you could do with these. Presents! (laughs) The juice of the fire flower. One drop will cure any injury. And though I hope you never have to use it. Thank you, sir. But I think I could be brave enough. I'm sure you could. Battles are ugly affairs. Susan. Trust in this bow, and it will not easily miss. What happened to battles are ugly affairs. (laughs) Though you don't seem to have a problem making yourself heard, blow on this, and wherever you are, help will come. Thanks. Peter. The time to use these may be near at hand. Toys. Bear them well and wisely. Now, I must be off. Winter is almost over. Things do pile up when you've been gone a hundred years. <laughs> Long live Aslan. And Merry Christmas. just noticed that he says Merry Christmas, which true Brits say Happy Christmas. But I hope you could understand through the accent, um, Father Christmas, as he explained the gifts that he was giving the children, he said, these are tools, not toys. In the same way, God has given us tools through his Holy Spirit that are to be used for his kingdom purposes. He doesn't give us toys, friends, because he doesn't call us to play. 
Our lives are not primarily about our own enjoyment or entertainment. He gives us tools because he calls us to work, to build a kingdom, his kingdom. Even our earthly family heritage can be a tool that God uses to serve in the building of his kingdom. Our family stories can give us compassion, understanding, humor, empathy, support, financial resources, stability, and loving honesty that others around us need. Whether your family of origin was a chapter of blessing or of struggle, it formed in you a picture of what the world should look like, of how ideal families should function. God uses our families to both affirm his beautiful intentions for family and to make us long for more than what we had. It may require some therapy for you to work through past trauma or to learn some new coping or communication skills. But God can and will redeem your family history and use it for good if you will invite him to. Friends, how can you invite others into God's beautiful family this Christmas? How can you reflect the big heart of your father? How can you demonstrate the sacrificial love of your brother, Jesus? Rudyard Kipling once wrote about families. All of us are we and everyone else is they. Who do you know that needs to be invited into the royal we of God's family? Let's be people who see less they's and who build more we's. May God make it so this Christmas. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that the, the story ends with Jesus. We thank you that through the turmoil, through the confusion, through the mess of human sin, that the period at the end of the sentence is grace through Jesus. God, we pray that that would encourage us this morning. For those of us who already know Jesus, we pray that it would help us to dive deeper into his wells of grace. We pray that we would be children who are secure, who live out of an abundance mindset, who know that your love for us can never run out, and who trust that we can give it away freely because of that. Father, for those who don't yet know you, who are not yet members of your family, I pray that Christ would work in their hearts, that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to see and understand how good and faithful and true you are. I pray that they would accept the invitation to join your forever family. And Lord, even in the midst of this hope, we still in this world experience difficulty. I think of our dear sister, Christy Rediger, who lost her mom this past week. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give her words of peace, words of hope, words of comfort. We pray that you would be extra close to her in these weeks as she grieves, as she remembers, and as she trusts you. Lord, thank you that we can trust you with our todays and our tomorrows. Holy Spirit, go with us now. Empower us to live dangerously for you. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.